Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 32 of UAB Green and Told, original air date Monday, November 9th, 2020. Green and Told gives us the opportunity to share stories from members of the UAB community. I'm Greg Berry, Assistant Director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. Today we welcome two members of the Blazer community, Dr. Donna Murdaugh and Dr. Andrew McDonald, a couple that owns six combined UAB degrees. As Donna and Andrew will share, they were drawn to the personal touch the school had for them when they were looking for colleges to attend. And for a local guy like Andrew, it wasn't something he expected. To me, just as a, as a student down the street, they didn't, it, it didn't feel like that that's something that had to be done because there's already a strong pull for people to stay close to home. And they'll explain why Birmingham, and more precisely UAB, has become an incredibly special place for them. I think the saying of, you know, everyone ends up going back home, for us, that's UAB. That, despite a lengthy period apart as young newlyweds looking to complete their residency and fellowship. We did over three years, maybe closer to four years apart, um, commuting back and forth between Atlanta and Birmingham. Donna Murdaugh and Andrew McDonald are from two different worlds, but only an interstate apart. Andrew grew up in Birmingham, first in Roebuck, then Irondale. As a local kid, he knew plenty about UAB. But for a young woman from Atlanta, that was far from the case for Donna. So I actually hadn't even heard of UAB before. Um, Obviously, coming from Atlanta, everyone was going to UGA or Emory if you were the med school route. And so, um, and if you're engineering, you're going to, you know, Georgia Tech. And so really no one in my high school had heard of UAB before. It was actually a great year for UAB because it was also the year that the basketball team made it to the Sweet 16. So it happened when I had my acceptance letter that everyone was like, oh, we know UAB now because we've all been watching basketball. But um, my mom had actually purchased a book for me for colleges that listed all colleges that have some sort of kind of accelerated program whether that be an MD or a PhD type accelerated program and so she said well, why don't you look at these schools as potential schools that you might want or be interested in applying to and UAB happened to be on the list it's only two and a half hours from Atlanta so we went and actually visited the campus it was a, it was almost like a personalized experience for me So we went and it was just like stopped by on a random day. Immediately an orientation leader came and met me, walked me through campus and my mom by ourselves. And then I met with a guidance counselor at that same time who basically said, you should really think about applying to UAB. And we have this great university honors program that we think you might be a good fit for. Um, And so I did a second visit, which was actually my interview to UHP the University Honors Program. Um, And that experience, that interview, is probably what solidified my interest in UAB because it just seemed so unique. Like none of the other colleges I had visited or explored really had that same small kind of class, all meeting in the same location. They really emphasized, you know, it's just 50 other freshmen. You get this individualized interdisciplinary course Um, And when I met with all the current honors students, 
it was like, this is the college experience I want. Like this, I want to be one of these people. And it was also the year that, uh, it was a year of change really, because it was also the first year that Mike Sloan took over as director of the University Honors Program. So I met, you know, with Mike Sloan and that interview probably solidified my experience. He had done his research. He knew about my high school. He was like, oh, I looked up Brookwood High School, the high school you went to. And I learned about this, about your high school. And it just felt so personalized as opposed to some of the other universities that I went and visited where I was just another student, a mass in the orientation and kind of, you know, following along with a bunch of other people. And this made me feel kind of like I was special. I was selected. I was, you know, one of a few who would get to have this type of college experience. So that made picking UAB very easy for me, I think. You chose to move away from home, move away from Atlanta. Andrew, you chose to stay in Birmingham. I think Birmingham chose for me to stay inside it. Okay. Uh, I think uh, I always describe Birmingham as kind of like a black hole. It's, it has this gravity where people come from, from outside of Birmingham and, and they never thought they would stay and, and they end up staying and, and really enjoying and, and loving the, the city. It was close enough to moving away because I moved out of my out of my parents' home and you know found some found some level of independence that way as as, as much as you know you can have as a as a college freshman. But um, you know it's nice to have that safety net and you know even you know, fast forward close to close to twenty years now and those that's the kind of decision making that that Don and I put into to staying in Birmingham is that you know that safety net we have here with a, a great group of family and. You know, just thinking about what you can accomplish. I think you can accomplish so much more if, if you have this uh, support network to handle the, the little things that come up in day-to-day -day life. And so for us, we can, you know, we can have an extra level of focus on what we want to do, what we want to accomplish, simply because we have a, a group of people that, that, that are here that we, that we work with, that we grew up with, and that if anything comes up, you know, we, we, we know how to handle it. Andrew, can you pinpoint the, the thing that really drew you to UAB and why you decided to enroll? It's funny. I was listening to Donna's story and I was thinking mine is, is just remarkably similar. I don't know what exactly prompted me to, as, a, as a high school junior to, to reach out to the admissions office, but I, I remember the, the meeting that I had. I, I emailed, his name was Greg Embry. I don't know what Greg is, is doing, doing these days, but he was an admissions coordinator in 2003 when when I when I submitted my application and um, I emailed him and he set up a meeting and I drove down there by myself to the to the old hill center and met with him and and he had reviewed all of my materials and and really was willing to sit down with me and talk about what I was looking for and make everything very personalized to me uh, he, through that meeting he introduced me to to Greg Pence who is the director of the of the MSAT program and uh, it, it all sort of snowballed out from there. And that was a one, one very personalized experience led to another personalized experience. And then like Donna, I met, ended up meeting with, with Mike Sloan at the honors program and everything just kind of felt tailored to, to my individual interest and in, in what, what I wanted to do. So basically when you were on your college visits, you didn't really have that personal connection until you visited UAB. That sounds like it was the case for both of you. I mean, the other college visits that I went on were, were like college visits. So you email ahead of time and they, um, they set you up with a day that they're doing tours. There may be some breakout sessions 
uh, when we came to UAB, it was it was time set aside just for just for us. You know, me just as a as a student down the street, they didn't. It, it, it didn't feel like that that's something that had to be done because there's already a strong pull for people to stay close to home. But it was it was a little bit off season at that at that point in time. But like I said, it was it was time carved out just for me. It wasn't as long. It wasn't a full day, uh, but there was a lot more individual attention. You kind of knew what you wanted to do, so you decided to jump in, get your mathematics degree, and it was basically a means to an end. I did come in focused, uh, intending to, to study biomedical engineering and, um, and, and go into a career in medicine. Um, and so you're, you're, you're definitely right that, that I, I came in very focused, but, but that, there, was some, there was quite a, a period of time, two to three years, where, where that came into doubt. I had some really wonderful, inspiring people that I worked with as, a, as an undergraduate student. Um, Doug, Douglas Stocks, Professor Emeritus in the mathematics department, inspired me as a, as a freshman to, to switch away from biomedical engineering to, to pursue a degree in pure mathematics, which is, you know, my parents certainly didn't understand that. And then, you know, meeting other, other wonderful people, um, I still very close contact with, with John Mayer and, and uh, vice chair of the mathematics department. You know, that, that definitely led me to, to doubt what, I, do I really want a career in medicine? Do I want to continue with this, you know, as a pure academician? And, and really, you know, ultimately I did make the decision to, to um, proceed to, to into a career in medicine. But, um, you know, I think those were pretty formative experiences that, that led me to, to consider, you know, giving back as, a, as an academic physician rather than, a, um, you know, a, a, just a pure community care physician. And so definitely led me to, to alter my career goals in a, in a very serious way. And so definitely started out as a means to an end, morphed into, into something quite a bit more. Donna, things were a little bit different for you because you said that you really didn't know what you wanted to do. And all of a sudden you settle in on psychology. It was somewhat of a serendipitous decision because I left high school not really knowing what I wanted to do. Um, a lot of pressure from my family. Um, I think some of that being having an Asian mother um, who emphasized, you know, that you have to have a career path and that you really need to go into college knowing what you want to do. And so she was very nervous about me going in undecided and just exploring. And then when we met at the honors program and they explained that those honors interdisciplinary classes were going to cover the majority of my core classes I would need to take, then even more kind of pressure to choose a major. And so I chose psychology. And then I also appeased, you know, my mom and saying, okay, well, I won't go in as undecided. I'll go in as a psychology major. Um, and at that time, I was also trying to, you know, straddle kind of taking all of the science courses, not knowing what I wanted to do. Did I, did I want to pursue a graduate degree or did I want to go to medical school? Um, so you know, I kind of loaded up on a lot of, you know, biology and chemistry classes early on. What I do now as a clinical neuropsychologist, I mean, no one goes into college and says, I know what a neuropsychologist is. You know, it's, it's not something that as a high schooler, I think you even know what it is. Um, and so that kind of evolved and morphed through my undergraduate career um, in that I took my first neuroscience class about the brain. Um, and I probably took that my junior year of undergrad. And it was that course, along with a partner course called 
brain and behavior um, that really solidified that I wanted to learn more about the brain. I don't know if it was, you know, like my lucky stars aligned and said, okay, you're going to randomly choose psychology as your major. And then suddenly that's going to lead you down this career path. Um, I, I, yet, like I said, I would not have known that going into it, that choosing psychology would lead me here. So when did the lives of Donna and Andrew start blending together? Very early on. So Andrew and I met first week of orientation before classes started, uh, freshman year. We lived in the same dorm. You know, we walked to the UHP for all of our classes together. Um, and so it was, you know, an early friendship that obviously developed to where we are now. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty linear story, so. It's a very boring story. <laughs> uh, the best, that's the best kind, though. Yeah. So, and Don and I met, and, and shortly, you know, within, within a few months of, of starting undergraduate, just had a very close connection really formed a, a partnership that, that we've, we've held since then. We, we're partners in, uh, obviously, in, in life, uh, but we we're also partners early on, partners in academics. Now we're partners in our, in our work. Um, and really, it's, it's boring, and that's good. The story's boring. Life is not boring. But the story is, is quite boring, which is, which is great. Yeah, but I also say probably because we started our adult lives together, really, you know, first kind of people we met, you know, together uh, after moving out of our parents' home. Um, you know, we have a very, you know, unique relationship in that UAB is home for us. It's a second home because it's where we met. It's where we had our entire adult life together. And I think the saying of, you know, everyone ends up going back home for us, that's UAB. Um, who knew that, you know, after we finished all of our training that, you know, our paths would align again to allow us the opportunity to have jobs, you know, within the same, you know, research institute, the Institute for Cancer Outcomes and Survivorship. And, you know, there's only one person separating our offices. Um, they, they joked they didn't want us right next to each other. So they put some, an office between us, but that's how close we are. And, and we collaborate, you know, together on a number of different research projects. So, we have a kind of a ultimate blend of both our professional life and personal life. I kind of think of it as we grew up together. We spent our entire adult lives together and we sort of, a few bits here and there start, start to shape one another and, and what our goals are. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, Don has had a lot of influence on, on what my career aspirations are and other aspirations in life. and. I would venture to say that I've had an influence on on what she values. So that that's really been the, the kind of the magic of of, um, of being together throughout the, the whole the whole journey, the whole UAB journey for it was a de de decades a story decades in the making. Yes. Do you find it difficult with so many parallels between what you guys do to get home and just kind of cut UAB out and just be yourselves where you're not co-workers, you're not co-researchers, you're you're not co-academics, you're just husband and wife at that point. I think that 
it was almost impossible to cut UAB out entirely. It's, it's part of our whole being as a, as a uh, multifaceted person, as a multifaceted couple. Um, do we talk about research ideas at the dinner table? Yes. Do we also do, you know, our normal hobbies and, and enjoy, you know, we both enjoy the outdoors. We both enjoy certain hobbies and crafts. And so are we also doing those together too? Yes. But I would say probably as a couple, we spend all of our time together. <laughs> it, it, it sort of highlights the fact that we're very fulfilled in what we do and we don't feel a need to, to turn it on and to, and to turn it off. And if something, if an idea strikes at, at, at 9 p.m. and one of us wants to get up and work on something and ask the other some questions to get some insight, that's something that we, we both understand as part of the process. And like I said, we feel fulfilled that way. And you know, we could come home and, and not talk about anything, but then we could also come home and and and, and just have a, a very productive, you know, academic afternoon. And so, you know, it, it, it just depends. We don't we don't force it one way or the other. I think when you start to force things, it, it can it can lead to some stress. And uh, you know, we don't get to pick when things get heavy and, and things are light. And so we we really try to make the most of all the all the different situations that we're that we're put into. And so. We don't put that pressure on ourselves to come home and, 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 and turn off. Um, and when we don't have that pressure, it, it makes it a, a little bit easier for us to exchange ideas, to have conversations, to vent frustrations, to get, typically it's me getting Donna's advice on how to approach a, a situation as a psychologist. Um, how, should I, how should I handle this? How should I handle that? And so. So the answer to your question, you know, we, we actually don't do that whatsoever, but but that's okay with us. I, I think we're we're really happy with with not having to do that. And that's one of the, that's one again. That's one of the um, benefits of growing up together is we 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 sort of established those values with one another over time, and so it's something we're very both very comfortable with. We know each other's schedules, and so when someone is you know, slammed or someone has a deadline coming up or is, you know, very busy, it's, it's easy to, to shift some of those responsibilities and go back and forth. And, um, and the same with relaxing, you know, after someone's done, you know, with a heavy deadline, getting that time to relax, you kind of already know almost instinctually, we don't even need to ask the other person. We just kind of know, okay, this is this is what we're doing today. Today is the day to relax, or today is the day where I, you know, or Andrew takes on more responsibilities, you know, in, in home life because we've got, you know, the other person's got more going on at work. So it's really nice to feel like the other person has a depth of understanding of what you're going through. It makes it makes the end of the day a little bit easier when you come home and need support to to really know that it's not just a pat on the back. It's a, it's an empathy. From, from someone with this like-minded and has similar experiences. Let's go off of that, because both of you work with oncology patients. Let's start by exploring why. Was there something in your past that kind of led you to work with cancer patients? The short answer is no. And um, I think in medical school, I definitely had a, an interest scientific interest in, in this one underlying the neoplastic disease process. Neoplasia is just a, a, a medical jargon for um, cells and tissues which, which gain some new characteristic, typically some type of a bad characteristic. 
And I had an interest in the mechanisms of that at a baseline, but then I think I'm, I'm the type of person who's, who's really drawn to people. Um, I mentioned that uh, my experiences with, with Greg Embury as a, as a high school student, um, Greg, Greg Pence in the MSAT program and then mentors in the mathematics department. And then in oncology and radiation oncology in particular, I found some very strong mentors as a, as a medical student people that I, I looked up to and that's what really drew me into the field. I spent some time doing a research project with um, Dr. John Fiveash, who to this day is one of my, my biggest supporters and, and, and strong mentor. And I was drawn to, to that mentorship relationship more than anything. And of course the, this, the interest in the science remained strong. And then gaining the experience working face-to-face -face with patients. I'm face-to-face face -face with patients every single day. The career I have in radiation oncology allows me to, to continue to do research in things that I find simulating. It gives me access to use technology. Uh, my interest in, like I said, quantitative reasoning and quantitative sciences. And it's a, those those things all sort of built up to, to where I really felt like that I had a home in, in the field of, of radiation oncology. Did I wake up one day and, and say, I want to treat cancer patients? Uh, no, and I, you know, there, there's obviously some, some type of, of flaws with, with that type of, of reasoning, because we, if, you, if you think that, you, you just don't know. You don't know what the experience is going to be like. And so the, it was never an aha moment. It was, it was, it was uh, you know, 1,000 little things that, that led me down a path to to finding a career that I felt really full, very fulfilled in, that I could achieve, you know, my goals. Feel like I'm helping people on a, on a day to day, individual to individual basis, affect mm -hmm. individual lives, but also do research and scholarly act, scholarly activities. I'm, I'm a researcher and I'm also a, an educator. I direct the residency program in radiation oncology, and so being able to affect. A, a larger body of lives through my research, be able to, to train the next generation of, of uh, radiation oncologists and other oncology professionals through education, and we can affect, you know, many, many, many more people. And so, you know, it certainly wasn't like a light bulb. I didn't wake up thinking, oh, I want to be a cancer doctor. It is something that happened over, over quite a long period of time. Going back to our background, you know, and, and I had mentioned earlier that we had a very linear trajectory. Uh, you know, both of our fields have a match program. So graduating from med school, graduating with a PhD in clinical psychology, we go through interviews for internship and residency, and we match to a certain place. Andrew matched here at UAB, and I ended up matching at Emory in Atlanta. So we, ha we did over three years, maybe closer to four years apart, um, commuting back and forth between Atlanta and Birmingham while I lived with my parents and they were immensely supportive. I probably could not have done that long away from my husband with, without their support. And at that time I, I was very, I was getting very generalist training in neuropsychology. So the majority of the clinical work and the patients I were working with were neuro neurological patients. So within the Department of Neurology and um, Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and Neurosurgery. And so, yes, I did interact with um, 
individuals who had a brain tumor or had other types of neurological complications from their cancer, but it was not a big part of my training and it was not a big part of my clinical care prior to my job at UAB. And as many trajectories happen, we were very fortunate that I did a fellowship in pediatric neuropsychology, so ended up specializing in pediatrics. And we're very fortunate that the two of us were ending our residency and fellowship at the exact same time. So we're able to job hunt at the exact same time. And you, you're probably, you will not be surprised, but the Venn diagram for a radiation oncologist who treats adults and a pediatric neuropsychologist that both want to hire them at the exact same time is, is very small. The overlap is very tiny. Um, and so, we applied all over the country. We, we reached out to all the major uh, medical institutes. It happened to be a year in which everyone wanted to hire a pediatric neuropsychologist, but not everyone was looking for a radiation oncologist. Um, and so when the opportunity arose for us to apply for positions at the Institute for Cancer Outcomes and Survivorship at UAB, you know, it was it was an opportunity to really have um, some ownership. And again, I go back to that first, you know, interview at UAB and that first interaction on campus that it was a very, again, individualized experience of which we really got to have an opportunity to build our, our jobs and, and get a feel of what that would look like, our breakdown of seeing patients and also doing research. And what I will say is as a pediatric neuropsychologist, my main goal is, is, is across diagnoses. My, my goal is to interact with uh, children who have had any type of chronic health condition, treatment, neurological injury that affects the brain, and how can I help in diagnosing what those specific difficulties are and develop individualized plans for these patients so that they can um, you know, excel both at home and at school with, with different types of interventions that can help with remediating difficulties that they have related to their uh, um, difficulties in their brain. So, you know, I didn't have a difficult time making that switch to cancer patients. And I will say that even though it happened, you know, largely because we were looking for jobs in the same city, it is it is almost like tailor-made for the two of us. It is a job that I get to work with families every single day and, and get to see their children excel and thrive. And to me, that's just so fulfilling. And then I get to do research on top of that, kind of, you know, the best of both worlds. So to me, cancer wasn't something that, you know, I went in thinking that that was what I was going to specialize in, but um, it is it now I can't see myself doing something different so that's Dr. Donna Murdaugh and Dr. Andrew McDonald. Donna completed her undergraduate with a BS in 2008 before earning her Master's of Arts in 2011 and PhD in 2015 all in psychology all from the College of Arts and Sciences. Andrew got his bachelor's degree in 2006 and master's in 2008, both in mathematics from the College of Arts and Sciences. He also earned his MD in 2012 from the School of Medicine. Both are also graduates of the UAB Honors College. 
With six combined degrees from UAB, this happily married couple has their own ideas of what it means to be a Blazer. To me, probably one of the most important things about being a Blazer is being able to embrace your individuality. And in the UAB community, both I would say as a student and now as a faculty member, the support and the ability to foster your own individuality with regards to kind of all aspects of your life is something that is nurtured at UAB. And to me, what it means to be a blazer is to kind of be, and I'm sure you hear this from many people, but blazing your own path, figuring out what you want to do as an individual, and then UAB is so multifaceted to provide that support scaffolding for you to go and do what you're most interested in doing. And I think that's what makes UAB so unique and diverse across all forms of diversity um, within the campus is that each person is encouraged and promoted to be their individual best self. I think a blazer is someone who in, in whatever they do, they reflect the values of UAB and the UAB community. Just someone who takes the values of the UAB campus, they're the people that made a difference to them at UAB. And no matter what they do, if it's in science, it's in art, it's in medicine, whatever they're doing with their life, they apply those values and reflect those values to give back is, is my definition of a blazer. Be sure to be the first to hear new episodes of our podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. While there, leave a written review so others can better find us. And you can also listen to us at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have an idea for a future guest? Let me know by emailing greenandtold at uab.edu. And check out everything our office has going on by checking us out on social media. Find us at UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!